Just a little warning before we begin that this series contains strong language and discussion of an adult nature, so may not be suitable for everybody. Welcome to Where Mama At in the Soul Bear Sessions series with me, Angela Smith. This series tells true life stories from extraordinary people who've thrived after enduring extreme trauma and life challenges. And they're speaking out and bearing their souls, often for the very first time, to share their stories and offer hope to other people who are going through difficult situations. The special guest today, who is going to be telling his incredible life story, is Terence Holloway. In fact, his story is so dramatic and so filled with incredible twists and turns that there's actually a movie being made about it. It's a story about growing up on the run from a drug gang, becoming a rap star and working with the likes of Tupac and Exhibit, looking for his homeless mother on the dangerous streets of Los Angeles, and even building an alter ego to escape his real identity after being a three-time victim of sexual abuse. In this final episode of Terence's story, here's a quick recap of some of the highlights so far. Do you remember the night when you started telling me your life story? I remember it really vividly. No, I don't. Do you not remember? No, I don't remember. We were in the, on the deck. It was night and we were on the deck at the back of my old house. And you said to me, yeah, I've got a really interesting life story. And I thought, oh, everyone says that. And then you started dropping me little bits of it. And yeah. I was like is this guy for real? And then I realized you were for real. My dad had uh, a lot of a lot of fancy things, fancy cars, and he got it all from either stealing cars or selling dope or pimping women. It started when I was born. Yeah. Uh, my dad didn't come to the hospital. She called the police. Um, she was fed up. So she called the police, basically trying to threaten him. She didn't know it was going to go too far. But um, the police, the integration from the police went too deep and they were already looking at my dad from stolen cars and they knew who he was and stuff like that. So it was kind of like they got him. She was scared. So she went on the run and uh, that's when my life started beginning now. You've been kidnapped? Yes. As a five-year-old? What on earth happened? How long did you end up staying in there? I was actually in the closet for a couple of days. A couple of days. He was a gang member, but he was he was like a smoker. He was like a weirdo. And it was like one of my dad's dad's friends. And it was like one of his big homies is one of the people that my mom put in jail. And that was the reason that he yeah, did yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So finally, there was some retribution. So your mum's paranoia actually was found, well-founded. Yes. When we got to Houston, um, we... Went to stay with my mom's sister. And that's why she headed for Houston, because yes. she had a sister there. Yes. And my mom had a very strange relationship with her sister. They never really talked until they were really older until this time. Um, I didn't even know my mom had a sister. They didn't They didn't get along. They didn't know each other. But this was like, a, I guess, a way for her to connect with her or, you know. So when we got to their house... Um, the first night that we went in, um, 
they put me, me and my sister was in the living room and my mom went and talked to her sister outside. Um, the first night I stayed on the couch in the living room and they had like a spare small room for my sister and my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, the next day my mom told me to come outside. And when I went outside, she came outside with, uh, some blankets and a pillow. And um, she told me that I had to sleep in the car. How long did you end up sleeping in the car for? Um, it was a long time, maybe like about four months. I know it doesn't sound really uh, right, but what I started doing was start stealing from everybody that um, let me sleep in their houses. And um, I started stealing from people's lockers at school. So I started gathering up clothes and gathering up money. Do you think people should look more closely at the circumstances of, you know, if something gets stolen? Do you think people are very quick to judge? Yes. You never know. Like, you like you have no idea what somebody's going through to yeah. actually try to survive. Like, you know, like, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Everybody just thought I was like, like I said, everybody thought I was like the cool kid from L.A. Nobody really knew what I was going through. Dad was one of the people that actually taught me how to cut hair. I actually went and bought all the equipment to start working at a barbershop. Never really worked at a barbershop or nothing like that. I barely can cut hair. So I bought all the equipment and then I started working next week. And basically I, I was working there to sell weed. I wasn't trying to cut hair too much. Like I was working there. I was like, okay, I can make this like my little spot. Like, you know what I'm saying? I could sell weed here. And um, so uh, my first couple months I just used to fuck people hair up I was I was awful <laughs> but I had a lot of weed <laughs> <laughs> we met downtown Los Angeles and it was two big old tour buses and one of the tour buses was the group Thug Life the other big old bus was just a black bus and I seen I was like oh shit like this is Thug Life um this is Tupac group I walked onto the bus and then it was actually Tupac's group on the bus um, we went to Vegas first, and on the way to Vegas, they stopped at a store, and I seen on the bus that they was all drinking. They was all drinking Hennessy and like forty ounces, and somebody drank all the Hennessy, and they was actually arguing. They was mad, so we stopped at a store. So I, I, I was looking. Every, I was always looking for an opportunity, and I had a lot of weed on me. So for one, I gave him some weed. And then when we stopped at the store, we went to the store and I stole a gang of liquor. And I hurry up and hop back on the bus and I gave everybody liquor. So everybody was like, oh, this 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 this, this the guy right here. And I'm young. It's like, this the kid. And then when we stopped, Tupac got off his bus and walked on the bus that we was on. So I was sitting in the back of the bus and he walked on the bus and he was really militant at that time. They was talking about the show and talking about music. So I was in the back and just like, oh, like, oh, my God, like this is Tupac. So when he seen me, he asked them who I was and they told him what I just did and he had grabbed me. He was like, hey, little nigga, you good with us? My mom called me because she was ready to come to California now. Wow. Yes. And you've not seen her for many, many years at this point. Mm -hmm. How did you feel when Look, she told you? Look, I just got you... the chills when you said that too. <laughs> How did you feel when she said she wanted to come to California and you were going to be seeing her? It wasn't seeing her. No, my mom was very direct. I'm coming to California to come and live with my kids. I'm coming to live with you. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what made me feel like, oh, no. 
So it was more for me to say, oh, yeah, I'll see you when you get here. But you should probably live with Lisa, which is my sister. <laughs> you should probably live with her. Um, that's, she did it. She tried it. My brother was staying in Arizona. So she went to Arizona first. Um, they they can only get along with each other for about seven days. Uh-huh. Uh, she went from Arizona to um, Los Angeles. Uh, she stayed with my sister. Um, they can only get down for about seven to ten days. Yeah. Uh, my mom ended up uh, doing some bad things to my sister, and uh, my sister just couldn't take it. Um, so I was left to take care of everything for my brother, my sister, and my mother. And they knew I would do it. I was the last straw, but they knew I was going to do it anyway. So she switches. So she had a switch when we got to the beach, and she just started cussing us out and telling us that... Uh, um, Basically, she was like, I, I brought you in this world. So you, whatever like whatever I need, you guys need to provide me with. So that's what the arguments started with. And it was just like, we was all, we tried to team up and be like, mom, we gonna, we here to help. But you know what I'm saying? But she wasn't having that. She was just like, fuck it. And I was asking her questions like how, like, what is the chances that I could actually find my mom out here? And he was like, your approach is cool, but you're not going to get the information that you need. So I was just like, what does that mean? He was like, we have... A, it's like the homeless has a pop. I mean, community. Homeless has a community where they trust each other, and it's not really outside people for information. He was like, "We don't know why you're looking for your mom." Mm-hmm. So it kind of made sense to me, and he was just like, um, "I was like, what if I just become homeless? Like, just be, he was like, what you mean? Like, what if I just become homeless for like a little a period of time?" And the whole time, I'm already thinking like, "Okay." I'm really into Bible stories and the people of the Bible. So I was figuring out, okay, what's a good number? I didn't even know. I was just like, what's a good number? What? I was like, 30 days, 30 nights. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm going to do I'm gonna do this for 30 days. And I'm going to become homeless for 30 days and look for my mama. So we're back again. This is the final episode of the first season of this podcast. Um we're going to conclude the story of Terence, a.k.a. Romeo Holloway, um, who share, uh, shared with us a story of real triumph against adversity. Uh, we were at the point where your mum had gone into a secure lockdown facility. Um, tell me how that went. She didn't like it, but we started seeing her kind of clear up. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, she was speaking a little bit better. Um, the medicine was kind of helping her, you know, not kind of, the medicine was helping her. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't able to drink, so she was going through a detox, so it had, to, you know, it was kind of problems. They they still smoke cigarettes, they don't have their cigarette breaks and stuff like that. Um, but this was the beginning of her actually getting some kind of help. And mm-hmm. I think at this time, she kind of like, just kind of gave up and said, okay, I need some help. So she actually just acquiesce to everybody's wishes it's like go on i'm done i'm done with being a mess and i'll i'll now surrender to whatever need i need to make me better is that right yeah you can say that yeah Yeah. she still had her moments but yeah you can say that and how did you feel when that happened i didn't like the lockdown thing no yeah i didn't want her never to be locked down i didn't like that but it was something that was needed um, after she was in the lockdown, they uh, placed her in a home, and now she had her home. She had a roommate, but she had her own apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like this real big apartment building that was converted into like uh, homes for people that had these kind of problems. Mm-hmm. 
Was she happy there? She was not happy because she didn't want roommates. Right. She didn't like roommates, like screaming at night and banging their heads. And, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Just like, you know, really insane people. So mm -hmm. she was in these kind of facilities and she wasn't fully insane. She just had her own problem, but she wasn't fully insane like that. So that was the reason why she didn't like it. What was your hope for her at that point? Did you hope that she would then go on to be in a less secure home in terms of lockdowns and being controlled? Or did you think that that was never going to be a possibility? No, that was that's what we that's what we wished for and that's what we wanted. Right. And that's what ended up happening. Oh, okay. So yeah. what happened then after this secure facility? Um, she went into a home um in Long Beach, California. Mm -hmm. And once again she just didn't like the roommate type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um my mom got money every month. So when you say when I say she went into a home, this was coming out of her social security, so she had money. Mm-hmm. So um, she was paying for everywhere she was living. That's why she wanted she wanted to live like she wanted to live. Like you know what I'm saying? She didn't mind getting the help, but she wanted to live how she wanted to live. Mm. So she went through maybe like about three different places. She escaped a couple times and just left. You know what I'm saying? But she always went back. Yeah. What happened? What did she do when she escaped from these places? They called me and I go find her. And what was she doing when you found her? Drunk. Oh. Um, yeah, drunk around the place. Like she wasn't. Yeah. She wouldn't go too far. Right. Mm -hmm. At this point, she wouldn't go too far. She just wanted to actually leave and go get drunk. And that's mm -hmm. what she did. Mm -hmm. So her, her escaping was to go to a liquor store and go drink for two days. Right. And then she'll come back in there drunk and wanted to go back to sleep. <laughs> 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 so some of the places did it. Some places had to put her in somewhere somewhere else. And she did it at one place too many times. So she had to go back to a lockdown facility. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, after that one, she ended up in placement. What's that mean? Um, she ended up with her own place, and um, that's when she was doing. She started doing better for herself. Okay. Yeah. So this is we're going back about five years at this point. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then um, things started to go bad again for her, didn't they? She escaped one day, and you were at your wit's end. I remember you were at your wit's end trying to find her. Yes. Um... It was close to a holiday. Um, so what I used to do for holidays, like I'll be the person that pick up my mom for every holiday. So I kind of subject within these five years, I subject myself to all holidays and um, spent the holidays with my mom. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like her, uh, her treats. Okay. And what and would you do on these holidays? Oh, and she felt like it was a treat. I made sure like, so we would get drunk. We'll cook all the different foods that she loved when she was a kid. We'll listen to old school music. I'll take her to Hollywood, take her to the beach. Um, we'll watch comedy, like just the different things that kind of keep her uplifted. So she looked forward to every holiday. Yeah. So I had I actually did every holiday for my mom, like and just me and her. So I had to kind of like subject myself. Even I talked to my kids about it too, and they understood. You know what I'm saying? But um, every holiday. So tell me about the, the time, the last time that she escaped. So I got a phone call from the place and I got a phone call from my sister and said that she escaped this place. And we was like, how did she escape? Cause she was on the second floor. My mom has opened up the window and jumped off, jumped out the window from the second floor. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and then once again, she was around, like they have, they have a, uh, they have a system at this place where, you know, somebody leaves, they'll they have people where they actually go and kind of search for her. So they kind of saw, they thought they saw her. People knew where she was at, but she ended up getting on the train. And when she get, like, once you get on that train, then you can just be lost in LA. Right. So, um, somebody, 
somebody had a sight number. No, she had a cell phone at this time because she did. You know, I made sure she had a cell phone. So her phone was dead. She asked somebody at a uh, at a Rouse in um, the inner city of Los Angeles, like like in the, in the hood, and um, she charged her phone in this man's car. And uh, I guess she was so out of it to where she just told the man to call call son on her phone, which is me. So he called me and he was like, um, is your mom Brenda? And I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, uh, she's not doing good. And she's just sitting here on the corner of uh, Manchester in Los Angeles. I had to go search for her. And I went and looked, I went and looked and went and looked. And I was just out there. I walked around and I seen her in the alley. And when I picked her up, she was, um, she was full blown drunk. She was out of it. She was cussing at me. And, um, she was like, take me home. She didn't want to go back to the place. She thought now again, like she wanted to come to my house. So I'm like, okay, now nah, like we have to, I say, you can have the day with me because you do have to get in later on tonight, but you got a day. So we have the day, we chilled. They would get her something to eat, some food, and um, just kind of calm her down a little bit. I took her to the 99 cent store, I took her to a couple other stores to kind of just kind of like pump her up a little bit, get her some things. Um, took her back to the place and then uh, they let her back in. We'll be right back continuing the conversation with Terence after these quick messages from our sponsors. From the same company that brought you this series, there are three new podcasts that we strongly recommend. The first one is a true crime series called Framed for Murder, the case of Matthew Turner. It's a really harrowing and quite intriguing true crime series about a guy who's now 32 years old and he spent the last 14 years in prison for a crime that all the evidence suggests he did not commit. The series, available as a podcast or on video, follows his legal team as they reinvestigate the case and fight for his exoneration in real time. If you're a true crime fan, it's absolutely not to be missed. On a totally different note, we've got a podcast about online dating called Accidentally MILF Online Dating Adventures After 50 with Angel Bliss. The podcast has already won nine awards and if you listen to it you'll understand why. Oh my goodness, the scrapes and the stories that are told in this podcast are absolutely hilarious. It is brilliant fun and is highly, highly recommended. And for music fans everywhere, Paul Ryder, the legendary bass player of Manchester Legends Happy Mondays, who sadly passed away in July 2022. Well, he has a brand new series coming out, available as a podcast or on video called The Paul Ryder Tapes, Sex, Drugs, Happy Mondays and Me. You see, in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me and told his whole life story in absolute depth revealing lots of secrets about Happy Mondays and he also talks about his own drug addiction, his own struggles with mental health and there are lots of really funny and special anecdotes and cool guests such as Paul Oakenfold, Peter Hook, Clint Boone and many many other big names from the music world. So that's the Paul Ryder tapes coming soon. Please check that one out as well. She never seemed to settle much after that, did she? She seemed to be unhappy after that episode, is that right? No. 
No, she was, she was okay. She yeah. was okay. It was on and off. She had moments. Yeah. So she had times where she was all right, and she had times where she wasn't. Yeah. There was a couple of times where I had to go up there and go check some of the men talking to her and trying to, you know, do, you know, trying to get her to go in their rooms and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird. Yeah. It was weird. Um, I... Yeah, so she had moments. It wasn't just all the way unhappy, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And then she got sick. Yeah, she ended up getting COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, she escaped. So she was on the streets with COVID. So she ended up getting COVID real bad. She got pneumonia after that. And then she was admitted to like an urgent care for um, where their facilities. And then that's when she ended up sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she was sick for quite a while, wasn't she? Yeah, she was sick for a while. Yeah. Yeah, she was sick for a while. She couldn't leave. So when she first got COVID, we had the restrictions. So I couldn't go see her. I couldn't pick her up. I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, go see her at all. So she was upset at that too. She didn't understand how like a disease can make it where I can't see my son. <laughs> she like she was not uh uh-uh. uh mm-hmm. like no disease would make it to where she can't see her son. Mm. Yeah, she ended up getting like sick and sick. Like uh, first time she escaped, she got it. Then she left again, and so she still has this COVID and she still has these problems. So, um, she wasn't doing good at all. Mm-hmm. Mm. And eventually, you got her back into the facility. Yeah, my sister got her back into the facility. Yeah, yes. and then. You suspected she had something more seriously wrong with her than just COVID. Yeah, no, the doctors told my sister she had cancer. Right. Yeah, my doctor told my sister that she had cancer. Yeah. And then um, we had a conversation with her, you know what I'm saying? And I told her, I was like, Mom, you know, we got cancer. And her thing was, she was like, I've been had that shit. She said, what? <laughs> she said, I been had that shit. What's that mean? <laughs> that mean, I already knew I had cancer. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, uh, that's yeah. how my mom was. Yeah. And she was always, if it's, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Just be at peace with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was her time to go. She was on, she was passing. Yeah. Yeah. And how on earth did that make you feel? It didn't make me feel too bad because I was there for her. Right. Yeah. It was, it was no more of on my siblings. But me, I was there. I was there. I, I, I was able to see her good times. I was able to like see her at her peak of being happy, see her at peak of being low. We've talked about death. Like, she wasn't out here in the streets not knowing that she wasn't going to die. She knew that one day she's going to die. She knows that. Like, and she told yeah. me everybody's going to die. It's just the timing and how are you prepare for the timing. Do you think she was kind of done with being on this planet? Do you think she was kind of ready to go? Yeah, I have a, I have a um, partial on my mind with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she had a rough, got a rough old life in many ways, didn't she? She had... She worked really hard when you were kids and struggled through a lot of a lot of issues, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like I don't know. It, it's the fact that you were together at the end, and that she didn't seem to have really any regrets, and you were able to be there for her. I mean, in a way, it's a very sad ending, but it's also a kind of poignant ending because at least she wasn't lost in the streets yeah you know at least that would have been were. worse yeah yeah mm-hmm. so how do you feel about having gone through that do you feel traumatized by having experienced that or is it just a case of you not you don't know any different no yeah i don't know any different mm. um i wouldn't say traumatized because, like I said, like, you know what I'm saying? I've had partial lives with both sides of my family, like mom and dad's side and mm-hmm. mom and dad. So I wouldn't say I was traumatized. Times it hurt. And then times it makes me 
just more stronger. Mm-hmm. My dad was always somebody that told me that, you know what I'm saying, like, you're the one that's better than me. Like, you're the one that's special out of, out of his kids. And my mom always told me that, too. Mm-hmm. So just with that and just knowing that I was there, and even with my dad and my mom, I was the I was the go-to person that were, I, I would pump them up. Like, I was the one. Yeah. Yeah, like, I had different kind of enjoyments of life with my parents. How do you think that you have turned out to be as balanced as you are, given all the trauma that you've been through? You've been through sexual abuse, you've been through chronic homelessness, you've been through a lot of physical adversity as a child as well. Why do you think you're not messed up or more messed up than an average person? I'm all fucked up. <laughs> no, <I'm playing. laughs> we are, I'm yeah, yeah. Nah, no, um, why do you think that you were able to just... I don't know I've always looked at the brighter things like I've always like you know what I'm saying it's like I don't ponder on like the uh, the things that made me me I don't ponder on it so like mm-hmm. this is me talking about it but I, even not me okay let me phrase it in, in another way there are some people that identify that they, they go through one small amount of trauma as a child and that becomes their identity into adulthood and ruins their lives effectively. How do you how did you not do that? How did you decide to not let all that experience define you as an adult? OK, I'll, OK, since you say it like that. All right. Because I know people like that. I even have brothers just like that. So my brothers just couldn't handle the shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, it's very serious. But it's kind of who do, who you, who you, like, who do you think you are? You know, when somebody say, like, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. I think I'm somebody special. It's up to the person. I don't think that they think that they're special. I don't think that they think that they're, they're going to make a change in life. Do you think everybody's got the potential to be special? Everybody has a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God gives everybody a gift. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And it's just up to that person. Like, like, what are you doing here outside of you trying to make money, outside of you trying to live, outside of you trying to, you know what I'm saying, be a certain person? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I look at myself as an instrument, not just a person. Mm-hmm. And if I'm an instrument, I want somebody to use me. Mm-hmm. So how can I do that if I, if I end up the wrong person? Okay, so what, what do you want to do? What's your mission in life now? Looking back at myself, getting this story out, and like really listening to myself as I go, one of my missions is to shed light on how to survive who I am. And it's kind of like I said, it's like using me as a tool. So I want people to kind of use this, use me, and understand that it can't all the way be all bad. Like it's always a brighter side. So that's kind of like one of my missions. So you want to kind of inspire people by hearing your story and how you got through those yes, times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really important to inspire people, you know what I'm saying? Because outside of physically helping somebody, you know, you can only touch a couple people, but like hearing a story and where somebody can actually do a play forward. Yeah. Like I would love for this to get played forward to like yeah. many people. Yeah. So there's a movie in the works. Yes. Telling your story as well. So the likelihood is you're going to reach a lot of people and there's going to be a book as well. Yes. So uh, thank you. On behalf of everybody that will be inspired by your story, thanks for having the courage to share it and talk about some really sensitive personal things. It can't have been easy. 
No, it wasn't, but it was. Like, does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. That's the end of Terence's story, but Soul Bear Sessions will be back again soon with more true stories of triumph against the odds. Please visit our website at wheremamaapp.com or soulbearsessions.com where you'll find links to all of our socials as well as information about resources that might be useful to you if some of the things that we've talked about today have resonated with you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate a review and please tell your friends about the series and help spread the message that no matter how grim a situation may seem, there are others who have gone through something similar and have made it through. Thank you so much for listening. It really, really means the world to us and we look forward to having you with us again next time. Have a great day and thank you. This series was brought to you by Glistening Productions. It was produced by Angela Smith. Associate producer was Sarah Walters. Editing was by Terence Holloway and Richard Hayward. Cameras by Richard Venti. Sound recording was by Marty Black. And the executive producers are Angela Smith and M. Jacoby. Glistening Productions.